Good morning, everybody. You have your Bible with you? Good. You need to turn to Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, I hope that you'll grab one from the pew rack there in front of you. Turn to Colossians chapter 1 so you can follow along as we study God's Word together. Last week, we continued our look at this introductory section about prayer. We finished the specific part of that section that was about Thanksgiving. Paul had heard the report about the church in Colossae from one of their leaders whose name was Epaphras, and this report caused him to give thanks to God. He had heard about their faith, he had heard about their love that was springing forth from hope that is theirs as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gives thanks. He had heard about the growth of the gospel to them and in them and then out from them, and he gives thanks. He had heard all of this from their faithful leader and trusted partner, Epaphras, and he gives thanks. We talked last week about having hope in Christ that is an anchor for our souls. We talked about the gospel growth that needs to happen in our own lives and then out from us. We talked about that growth that happens as we follow Paul and Epaphras' examples as we preach the good news to the people around us. And specifically, we tried to narrow in and talk about preaching the gospel to our people. Now, surely there are those who are sent out uh, to preach the gospel to other people. Uh, We call them missionaries. They go and plant their lives in the midst of a foreign people and live amongst them for the sake of preaching the gospel. Uh, And and we're praying that God is calling out more and more of you to go and do that. In fact, Dylan talking about this missions college thing, man, we're not just talking about young people that God might be calling out to a, a new career, a new vocation in foreign missions. Maybe he's calling retired folks, or maybe he's calling a lawyer who has a practice set up in his hometown that is all ready for him to take over, and maybe he's calling you out to the nations. He's done crazier things than that, right? God calls some people to be missionaries and go to foreign lands, but God calls every one of his people to be ambassadors for his kingdom amongst their own people. There is no one better equipped and better situated to preach the gospel to your people than you. The people at your work, the people in your house, the people at your school, no one is better equipped to preach the gospel to those people than you. And I am begging you to do it. I am challenging you to do it. We don't want to wait till someone else comes and does it. We want to be there to preach the gospel to our people. And so specifically, we talked last week at the end about who's your one. Who's your one person that you are burdened for, that you are praying for, that you are engaging in conversations regularly that is leading to uh, a gospel proclamation and, and by God's grace, a decision to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this week, we're going to move into the heart of Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae. He prays for big and serious stuff for these people. And there is much for us to learn about how we should pray for each other. Um, In this request, Paul's not going to walk away from Thanksgiving. In fact, next week, the text that we'll look at wraps up the whole section of prayer with more Thanksgiving. And maybe there's a little bit of lesson there for us right off the bat. That our lives, particularly our prayer lives, ought to be just dripping with Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving should be something that is not just what happens in the fall right before we eat turkey, but something that takes place every day. We should have a posture even of Thanksgiving because a posture of gratitude and Thanksgiving is good for our hearts, it's good for our minds, it's good for our very souls. I will quote to you the immortal words of Larry the Cucumber who says, a thankful heart is a happy heart. Right on, right? 
A thankful heart is a happy heart. If you are really hungry, you'll be really thankful for whatever food is right in front of you, right? You'll be glad, glad to take in that food if you're really hungry. And if our hearts are, are constantly in a posture of gratitude and thanksgiving, we'll be happy. We'll be happy with what our Father gives to us. So today we're going to look at Colossians um, uh, a few verses in chapter 1, um, verse 9 through 11 actually. And, uh, but we're going to read more than that. We're going to read on through verse 14 um, so, that we, so that we get a little bit of where we're going next week and we get some of the context. Um, so I want to read more than we're actually going to study today to you. So check it out with me, Colossians chapter 1. Let's start in verse 1. I'll read through verse 14. God's word says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. Just as in all the world, also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, Joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word today. We're thankful for your presence in this place. We're thankful for the gathering of brothers and sisters that you have brought here today. It's good. It's good to be here right now, and we are thankful for this time, and we pray that you will fill us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we will walk in a manner worthy of you, to please you in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you. We pray that you will strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience with joy. As we pray these things, Father, we recognize we have an enemy who doesn't want any of that to happen for us. We have an enemy who opposes everything that is happening in this room. We stand against that enemy, not in our strength and not in our power, but in yours. Not because we fight well, but because you have fought and won. So we stand firm. And we are expecting you to work and speak with power and authority in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
So like I said, we're going to look closely at 9, 10, and 11 today. We'll get 12 through 14 next week. But it's really all one big section, but there are, there are some big ideas that are going to just take us too long to work through to try to do it all in one shot. So look at verse 9, at least the first part of verse 9, when it says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. I think there's a, a lesson here before we really get started today. It seems to me that from the introduction of the letter, at least, most of what Paul has heard from Epaphras about the church in Colossae has been quite positive. He's been hearing good things about what's going on in Colossae, and yet he prays for them. And that seems noteworthy to me. Because Paul is not just praying for these people because there's some major problem that he's heard about or there's some kind of major scandal that he's been made aware of. He is praying for them because he loves them. Paul is praying for these people because he knows that praying is like breathing. You need it even while you sleep, not just while you run a race. In other words, every occasion is an occasion for prayer. And we need to learn that lesson. That, that our prayer lives shouldn't just be a reaction to a crisis. That our prayer lives need to be a regular part, like breathing, like breathing for us. That we take every occasion to the Lord in prayer. Paul is not reacting to some major scandal in Colossae. He's heard good things about them, and yet he's consistently taking them to the Father in prayer. And there are essentially two things that Paul asks from God for the church at Colossae. Knowledge and power. Knowledge and power. And these are two issues of much interest in the church today. You go to Christian Bookstore or Christian Book website, you can find all kinds of books about knowledge and power. And these two issues are also the topic, I believe, of much confusion and misunderstanding in the church today. There are a lot of people that are confused about knowledge. There are a lot of people that are confused about power. And so, I want us to consider knowledge and power as they appear in the text today and let this text guide our thinking about knowledge and power. Notice what he says at the second part, in the second part of verse 9. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So let's talk first about knowledge. I think there are two common and quite major mistakes that we make in the church today when it comes to knowledge. Particularly in this text, we're talking about knowledge of God. We're not just talking about knowledge in general. We're not, we're not just talking about knowledge of mathematics or science or something like that. We're talking here about knowledge of God. Notice the language in the text, the knowledge of his will spiritual wisdom, understanding, the knowledge of God. That's what we're talking about here. And I think the two major and common mistakes we make are this. First, we seek this knowledge in order to puff ourselves up. One of the mistakes we make in the church today when it comes to knowledge, particularly the knowledge of God, is we seek it in order to puff ourselves up. We like to be the smartest guy in the room. We like to have all the answers there's a certain part of us that when there's a question in Sunday school, we like if everyone turns and looks at us. We like to be the first guy recruited for the Bible trivia fundraiser team. We like these kind of things. And there is a very real danger 
This is a very real danger that we must guard against. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, right before Paul gets into the whole talk about eating meat sacrificed to idols, he mentions a kind of knowledge that makes us arrogant, a kind of knowledge that puffs us up. And so when we talk about knowledge, we need to fight against that danger, that kind of prideful arrogance that would say, I like being the smartest guy in the room. The second danger that, and misunderstanding that we often face in the church when it comes to knowledge is the polar opposite of that, where we disdain all talk about knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And we do this because knowledge has been aligned with, in our minds at least, the liberal elite. It's been aligned with atheism. And we often, in reaction to that, kind of adopt this posture of, we don't want to get too much learning or we'll go crazy. That education and knowledge and wisdom and understanding somehow lead to scoffing. And I think this is particularly common in rural contexts like ours, which is very similar to the first century context into which this letter was written, where we've got Pharisees and Sadducees, the most educated guys, the most religiously educated guys. We've got scribes and rabbis. We've got philosophers and scholars on the other hand. All of these most educated folks around are scoffing at the gospel. And sometimes our reaction to that is we we, we just want to be good old boys and we don't want to know too much. We don't want to get too much learning or we'll go crazy. And these are very real dangers that we have to fight against. And so if these are two dangers that we face in the context of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, let me encourage us to refocus our understanding completely in this way. First, let us not ever seek knowledge that leads to pride. Let's not seek knowledge that leads to pride. Rather, let's seek knowledge and wisdom and understanding that leads to obedience, Just like the text says. Look what it says in the text. Paul is praying that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that what? So that you can answer the trivia questions? So so that you can walk around with your chest stuck out like you're the smartest guy in the room? So, So that you'll be the first one recruited for the team? No. So that... You will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice, this is exactly what the text points to. Not knowledge that produces pride, arrogance, know-it-allism, but knowledge that leads to a lifestyle of obedience, a lifestyle that pleases Him in every way, a lifestyle that bears fruit and increases in bearing fruit. A lifestyle that is demonstrated in work and not arrogance. So let's pursue knowledge. Knowledge that leads to obedience. Knowledge that leads to service. Knowledge that leads to Christ-likeness. Knowledge that leads to humility. Not knowledge that leads to pride. Notice also in this text that when that happens, when this prayer is answered, it's an amazing upward spiral. He says at the end of verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So so Paul is praying that they'll increase in the knowledge of God so that they'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, which includes obedience and service, right? And as they walk in that way, they will increase in the knowledge of God. That's the ride we want to be on, right, as believers. Increasing in the knowledge of God, which leads to a lifestyle that looks more like Christ, which leads to an increase in the knowledge of God, which leads to a lifestyle that looks more like Christ, and we're on that road. 
You want that? I want that for you. I want that for me. Paul wanted that for the church at Colossae. I believe that's what God wants for all of us. And yet so often we're not interested in it. I don't need any knowledge. You talk to me about wisdom and understanding. I've got enough of that. No, no, no. Let's, let's pray for the increase in that so that God will be glorified in our lives. Let's get on this ride of upward spiral. So first, let's not seek a knowledge that leads to pride. Let's seek a knowledge that, and wisdom and understanding that leads to obedience. Second, let's recognize that growth in wisdom and knowledge and understanding is a really good thing. It's not a bad thing that doesn't necessarily lead to scoffing. It's a really good thing. Paul is praying that God would grant this for these people. He is asking God to fill them up with knowledge and wisdom and understanding of him. He sees it as a blessing to these people. And one of the things that I want to accomplish today is to pitch the knowledge of God, spiritual wisdom, understanding of God as something you want. Not something you roll your eyes at. Not something you think is for other people, but something that you want. I want to grow in the knowledge of God. I want to grow in spiritual understanding. I want to grow in wisdom. So, what should we do? What should we do with this? If that's something we want, what should we do? Well, the first thing we should do is we should pray. We should pray like this for each other. I fear that when we pray for each other, our prayers are way superficial. I feel that when we pray for each other, we are praying in a very superficial way for one another. One, we often don't pray for each other unless there's a crisis, right? We're often not praying for each other regularly unless something goes crazy in someone's life. Then then maybe we'll pray for them. And when we pray for each other, we're often only praying for comfort, only praying for deliverance from the situation that led to the crisis, right? We're not often hearing good things from each other's lives and taking that to the Lord in prayer. We're not often just spontaneously praying that we will grow in wisdom and knowledge and spiritual understanding. Let's pray for each other like Paul prays for the church at Colossae. Let's pray for growth in the knowledge of God's will, growth in spiritual wisdom, growth in understanding so that we'll walk in a way that we ought and serve him in every way. Let's pray for each other that way. In fact, we're going to have some time to do that in a little while during the response time. Let's pray for each other just according to this text. So let's pray for it. Number two, let's pursue wisdom and knowledge and understanding. God typically doesn't implant the knowledge of him, spiritual wisdom, and understanding. He doesn't usually implant this to us while we watch Dr. Phil or scroll through Facebook, right? It's not not the way knowledge of God, spiritual wisdom come to us. But rather, he's given us means toward that end. He's given us ways to pursue knowledge of God, spiritual wisdom, understanding. He's given us the gift of prayer. And we should make that a first matter of our pursuit of knowledge of God and spiritual wisdom and understanding is to go to the Father and say, I want this. This is what I want. Give it to me, please. And then, when we're done praying, take up our Bibles and read. One of the greatest ways God has revealed himself, arguably the greatest way available to us today, 
that God has revealed himself is his word. And we have unprecedented access to his word in America today. So I'm encouraging you, if you want to grow in the knowledge of God, you want to grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding, get your Bible out and read it. Like every day. I'm worried that some of you only ever engage God's word when it, when it comes from here. The only reading of God's word you do is when we read it together in here. If you want to grow, if you want to grow in knowledge that leads to obedience, which leads to growth in knowledge, read your Bible. It's available to you. I'm telling you, we've got brothers and sisters around the planet that have died trying to get access that is only a fraction of what you have in your pocket today. So take up your Bible and read. Thirdly, be a part of the fellowship of the brethren. One of the ways we learn about the Lord, one of the ways we grow in our relationship with Him is, in, is through our relationships with other people, with other believers in particular. That's why we do small group Bible study here. That's why we don't just always gather in a big room like this where you, you sit and listen in a lot of ways. We get together in small groups so that we can talk about life. We can talk about God. We can talk about the things that we're learning from His Word. It's part of why we take the night off tonight so that you can get together with your brothers and sisters so that iron will sharpen iron a little bit. You'll build these relationships, this community that God has designed us to live in. One of the ways God grows us in our knowledge of Him, our spiritual understanding and wisdom is through our relationships with other believers. So avail yourselves of those things. Let me say it another way. If, if your involvement in the body of Christ at First Baptist Church only happens in this room, you're missing out on some big stuff. You're missing out on some really big stuff. I would encourage you to get involved in small group Bible study. I would encourage you to get involved in New Life University, in these smaller groups where we can talk with each other about the things God is showing us about himself. So we should pursue wisdom and knowledge. But some of you are already uncomfortable with this talk. Some of you are already saying in your heart, but I'm not very smart, I'm not a good reader, whatever my excuse is. I want to tell you that what I'm talking about here doesn't have to be formal training. What I'm talking about here doesn't even have to be book reading. When I think about characters in the New Testament who knew God well, some of them were formally trained, and some of them just spent time with Jesus, right? I think about the contrast between Paul, who wrote this letter, and Peter, who wrote other letters. Paul was as trained as trained could get, right? As he grew up in Judaism, as he grew up in a Pharisaical household, he had the very best teacher money could buy. He sat at the feet of the very best teacher around, and he was trained in every way. He wasn't just trained in Old Testament theology. He was trained in popular, uh, popular philosophy. Uh, he knew all about poets of his day. He was just a really well-educated guy, right? And God used him in some incredible ways. Part of why he's able to engage the culture like he does is because of his education, because of his background, because of all that. And God used him and that education to do great things for his kingdom. Amen? And then there's Peter, on the other hand, who was a fisherman, right? He didn't, he didn't grow up under the best rabbi money could buy. He didn't have a lot of formal education. In fact, Acts chapter 4, verse 13 says this. It says, now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, 
they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. All right, so some of you are, are like Paul. And man, read books and take classes and, and go deep into formal training. And some of you are like Peter, and I'm saying spend time with Jesus to the point where people are amazed and it is obvious to everyone that you have been with Jesus and you've grown in your knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom, and understanding. Does this make sense? But pursue it. It's not just going to happen as you sit back passively. I'm telling you, pray that God would give this to you and then pursue it with every ounce of energy you have. The pursuit of the knowledge of God is a good thing and it is a practical thing. It is a good thing and it is a practical thing. Theology is good. Theology is good. And good theology will change your life. And that's what Paul is praying for the people. That they would grow in their theology and that their theology would change their lives. And that's what I want for you at First Baptist Church. And so that's what we're going to pray for each other in just a little while. So he talks about knowledge and then he shifts gears a little bit in verse 11 and talks about power. He says, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. I'm going to stop there and I'll explain why I think we should stop there. Consider this. When you hear people talk about the power of God, what comes to your mind? You hear people talk about the power of God. What kind of images come to your mind? When you hear people talk about wanting to see God's power on display, what comes to your mind? What kind of images come to your mind? I think for some people, it's a spectacle. For some people, when they think about the power of God on display, it's a spectacle. And I think for other people, when we start talking about the power of God on display, they immediately are skeptical. That's good preaching right there. Spectacle, skeptical. Some people immediately think about the power of God as being most clearly displayed in miraculous spectacles, like healings, miracles, signs, and wonders. Other people in this room immediately get feeling kind of weird, like something crazy might happen when we talk about God's power, and they don't have a box for that, right? Just immediately kind of like, I'm skeptical, I'm skeptical about any kind of display of God's power. Everything needs an explanation. Everything has a natural explanation. I'm skeptical when it comes to talking about God's power. Well, this text seems to create an entirely different box that probably didn't come to very many of your minds. Paul says, I want power for you. And you want to see that power? It's seeing a believer endure suffering and persecution with steadfastness and patience with joy. Now, there, there's an argument about translation here, whether joy at the end of verse 11 should go with giving thanks in verse 12 or should go with steadfastness and patience in verse 11. I think it should go with steadfastness and patience in verse 11 because I think joy is a key element to perseverance in suffering. Joy comes naturally in thanksgiving, Right? When we, start, when we start saying thank you to God for all that he has given and all that he has done, joy just kind of fits with that, right? 
But joy doesn't necessarily and certainly doesn't naturally fit when we talk about endurance and patience and steadfastness and perseverance through suffering, right? But that joy that comes from the Lord is a key to the power that is ours in suffering. There is a way to suffer, there is a way to endure that is not honoring to God, I believe. I think there is a way to endure Christian suffering, even persecution, that does not honor God. That is merely grinding it out, gritting our teeth, out of mere duty and obligation. But here, we see a picture painted of suffering and endurance with joy. I remember talking with with Kay Talley multiple times about running. Uh, because he has a son uh, that, that loves to run like I love to run. And, he, and I asked him if he ever ran, and he always said no. And I said, well, why not? And he said, because I've never once seen somebody running with a smile on their face. <laughs> when I start seeing people running down the road smiling, then I might get to running. So I've always remembered that, and, and as much as possible, try to smile while I run. Because, because I want other people, like, I really do enjoy it. Sometimes it hurts bad, but, but I really do enjoy it. And so I want to run with a smile on my face. Jackson Nolan talked about that in a race from just last weekend, that he, that he really enjoyed the race. Um, and, and there is a way to endure suffering as a Christian, maybe not always with a smile on your face, but with joy deep in your heart. And it is that deep, deep joy that helps sustain you in the midst of suffering. So I believe part of what Paul is getting at here is that rather than just looking for spectacles or only being skeptical of God's power, we need to have a multifaceted understanding of God's power. That sometimes his power is displayed by leading believers through suffering, by giving them endurance, by giving them perseverance by giving them joy in the midst of their pain we believe that he can do spectacular things right like heal people like raise the dead like make tumors go away like give sight to blind people we we believe he can do that right like he is powerful and able to do that and when he does it let's praise him amen He can do and does spectacular things. And when we see this, let's praise him. And he can and does sustain believers with joy in the midst of their pain. He does not always heal. He does not always raise the dead. He does not always give sight to the blind. But he gives his people power to endure. He gives them power to endure and strength to persevere with joy. So, however he chooses to strengthen us, however he displays his power, let's praise him for it. Like, let's not be the kind of people who have this one-dimensional view of God's power that is spectacular, and so we've got an issue. We come to him and say, heal us, deliver us, whatever it is, and he doesn't do that, and we say, you've disappointed us. But rather we say, Lord, I want deliverance. I want healing. But I trust you. And if it is your will that I walk through this pain, help me walk well. Help me walk well because I'm totally convinced 
Man, some of you are not going to like me saying this. I'm totally convinced that's better for you most of the time. To walk through the pain. Because I know in, in my life, when I look back on the times he's delivered me out of suffering and the times he's brought me through the suffering, I can say for certain I've grown most when he's brought me through it. When he's walked me through the fire. Those are the times when I've been conformed to the image of Christ more. And I personally think that that speaks more to the watching world than the deliverance out of the suffering. Like if the world can watch you bury a child and still speak about the goodness and greatness of God, they'll listen to what you have to say. If they can watch you be diagnosed with cancer, suffer and die with joy and the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ on your lips every step of the way, they're going to listen to that. Do not think that is any less a display of God's power than healing. Don't don't buy that. If he heals, that's a great display of his power. But the other is not a lack of power. Paul prays specifically for power for these people. Look at it in verse 11. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of steadfastness and patience with joy. Not deliverance, not overcoming, not, not, not those kind of words. Steadfastness, patience with joy, endurance in the midst of our pain. So, then how shall we pray for one another? We should pray that he would strengthen us with all power. Whether that is through some healing or deliverance, or whether it's through simple endurance with joy. We need to pray like this, Lord, we want to see and experience your power in whatever form it comes Because our greatest desire is to see you glorified. We want that more than healing. We want that more than deliverance from persecution. We want you glorified in our lives more than anything else in the world. So give us your power, whatever it looks like. So here's the application for today. Number one, let's pray for each other. Let's really pray for each other. Let's pray bigger, deeper prayers than we're accustomed to. Let's, let's, let's pray this way for each other. Whether we hear good things or bad things, let's be praying big things for each other. We're trying to do that. We're trying to do a better job of that on Wednesday nights. We gather together for prayer meeting. We want it to really be a prayer meeting. And we want it to be prayer about big stuff. Not that little stuff is unimportant. I've told several people about a meeting I was at a while back, a bunch of young pastors and one old pastor, and he was kind of teaching us, and we got to talking about prayer meeting in particular, and he said, prayer meeting at my church usually turns into an organ recital. And we we were all kind of like, really, just breaks out in an organ recital. That seems very strange. You're praying, and someone just walks up to the organ and starts playing, he said, no, no, no. I mean, we talk about Aunt Susie's liver and Uncle John's gallbladder and -and so-and-so's kidney. And that's all all we ever get to. Listen, we need to pray for those things because those are real things. But if that's all we're praying for, man, we're, we're we're not loving each other well. If we pray for your liver 
and not that you would grow in the knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom and understanding, you're not loving each other well. We pray for your health or your finances, and we don't pray for your soul, your walk with the Lord. We're not loving each other well. And so we want to, we want to pray that way on Wednesday nights, especially. So I would encourage you to join us. It's been good. Wednesday night's been good lately, and I want you to be a part of it. Let's pray for each other, number one. Let's pray specifically for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. That leads to obedience and service. Let's pray this for each other, that God would grant knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom, understanding. That leads to obedience. And third, let's then pursue that knowledge, wisdom, and understanding through spiritual disciplines, and through fellowship. Let's not be childish in our requests to the Lord. I think that's the way children do sometimes. They ask for something and then just sit down. They ask for something and then just sit down and like take a totally passive posture of only receiving. But rather, let's ask for this from the Lord, and then let's pursue it by the means He has given Let's say, Lord, give us knowledge and pray. Lord, give us knowledge and read. Lord, give us knowledge and fellowship with one another in real discipleship. Let's not forsake the means he has provided toward the end he desires for us. Let's pursue this knowledge through spiritual disciplines and through fellowship. And then fourthly, let's pray for strength and power. Strength and power to endure with joy. And let's have eyes to see his power in ways that maybe we haven't appreciated before. Like those examples of of burying a child, suffering an illness, and maybe even more pertinent to the text when we hear about our friend in Central Asia, Harry, who was beaten badly by his parents because of his faith in Christ. locked in a room for a while while they decided what to do with him because he's a Christian. And yet he says, like, outwardly, what could they possibly do to me? What could they possibly do to me? I belong to Jesus. They could kill me, and I go home. That's power. I mean, I mean, serious power. Let's not discredit that as the power of God on display. Now, would it be awesome if God shined a bright light down into that house and knocked people down and they all became Christians? Sure, <laughs> that would be great. But what he has chosen to do is also powerful, and we must praise him for that. So let's have our eyes open to see power in ways that we haven't maybe appreciated before. And as I talk through these things, I kind of realize that all of these applications, in fact, all of this text, is for believers. Like it's for people who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and that's fine, because when we gather together, my assumption is most of you are believers. But I'm not naive enough to think there aren't unbelievers in here. I know there are people who, who don't have any spiritual wisdom, don't have any knowledge of God. They're dead in their trespasses and sins, lost, spiritually blind. So our prayer for you today, if that's you, 
is that God would change everything for you today like he changed it for us. Like we were dead and he made us alive. We were blind and he caused us to see. Our prayer is that he would show you the truth about yourself, about where you stand apart from him and apart from Christ, that you are a sinner who deserves only wrath and judgment. Our prayer is that he would open your eyes to see the glories of Jesus who died on the cross for sinners so that they could be reconciled to God. Our prayer is that God would grant you faith to trust in Jesus, grant you repentance to turn away from sin and walk with him. Our prayer for you is that God would save you today and that you would be bold to tell the world about what he's done for you. Let's stand together in prayer. Father, we want, to, we want to love each other well as the body of Christ. We want to pray for each other bigger, deeper prayers than we're accustomed to. So we pray that we will be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that we will walk in a manner worthy of you. To please you in all respects, bearing fruit in good work and increasing in the knowledge of you. We pray that you will strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience with joy. Pray that you'll give us this as a gift of grace that we do not deserve. But we will not be childish in our thinking and ask for it and then walk away. We ask for this and we will pursue it. We pursue it by the means you have given. Through prayer and through Bible intake and through fellowship with other believers. God, open our eyes to see power on display in ways, in ways that we haven't appreciated before. I praise you and thank you for your power in our lives. Father, we pray for men and women and boys and girls who gather with us today who don't know anything about this power. They don't know anything about this wisdom and understanding, knowledge. They're blind and only you can make them see. They are dead and only you can make them live. So we pray that you'll do it, that you'll teach them about their sin and about your righteousness, that you will teach them about Jesus' death on their behalf and that you'll give them faith to trust repentance to turn, that you'll raise them from the dead and be glorified in doing it. In Christ's name we pray.